Hi, this is Ethan Sachs, and you're listening to What's Your Issue? Mjolnir behind you behind your head it is yes so i've got you know like most people i've got my my wall of stuff mm. but i've got i've got a few Mjolnirs and then i've got i've got this little guy right here and i got this guy right here i i keep i like to i like to keep them nearby it makes me feel worthy um but <laughs> i yeah. have a Mjolnir keychain as well which i don't know if you, you know it's closed i have a camtono in the back where i store my wallet and keys looks like oh, a nice. like an urn next to the clock but it's it's in there so see your grandfather clock looks way more classy than like <laughs> hey look at all my nerd crap <laughs> yeah like... well there's there's a loki cat on top of it i don't know if you can see and then i oh. have some uh some artwork and such uh including I a paolo that. villanelli um original art from a cover uh one of the bounty hunters covers and then if i flip my computer this way um this is what I look ah. at. So I have some more original art. I have uh, like all these action figures and and uh, stuff from of characters that I've gotten to write. So what is uh, that? So I, I saw like a headline, oh. the best sacks we've ever had. Oh, yeah, yeah. So is, before I was that, into bro? comic. OK, so that's from the New York Daily News. And I had worked there for uh, 20 years before I went into comics. And wow. uh, basically when you leave uh you you get like a little tribute um you know if you've been there that long they make a fake cover and the, and the daily news is a tabloid so it's all about the puns so the best sax we ever had but fun fact uh there was another sax no relation spelled the same way amy sax so i would argue i was maybe the second best sax they ever had um, that's but anyway. awesome <laughs> well i i knew i knew um i knew that you had done non comics writing before but like 20 20 years of writing journalism and then like the switch to comics that always like astounded me because i would go back and be like okay how far back does does ethan's comic writing go and i would come to this point where it, it would stop and then i'm like yeah but it still says he's a writer and so i would go i'm like oh there's a whole other world of Ethan Sachs writing that you know is like in the before times so I, I just always thought that was interesting because it's not it's not a story that at least I've heard a lot of people jumping from the world of journalism to to comics maybe it's more common than I think yeah. it is uh I don't think it's that common um but there are you know others uh that have some sort of journalism background um but yeah, and in my case, I was at the New York Times for 20 years. I ended up being the movie editor, and I did a lot of writing about movies, uh, interviewing celebrities and things like that. Uh, but one of my sort of side beats was I was on the geek beat, is what they sort of called it. And I started fairly young <laughs> over there. I was I was 23 when I started at the Daily News. And there really weren't many other people that interested in covering comic books and sci-fi and horror and things like Hadn't that blown and, up yet <laughs> uh yeah i guess and you know just i think most of the reporters were a little older than i was and and you know on sort of more serious fare so i ended up <laughs> backing into this awesome beat where i would you know cover comic books and and it was also right around the time 
that Marvel in particular was sort of getting out of bankruptcy. And my, yeah. my first uh, cover story was actually about the the sort of the hotshot young duo of Joe Quesada, Bill Jemis, who were pulling Marvel out of, you know, out of bankruptcy creatively and, and, uh, wow. and financially. And so that's how long ago it was. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I love and over uh, the years uh, covered everything. So, man, I, I guess I've kind of unofficially started our chat. Yes. <laughs> I guess I didn't even. I didn't Let's even go. That. But like you, you correct me if I'm wrong, but you got a Joe Casada cover yes. for Haunted Girl. So that yes. was that almost like um like your first big story that you get to cover, and maybe you didn't think of it this way, but kind of like a cool like full circle kind of moment, <laughs> like. Well, so so uh, Joe Casada, I ended up over the year, like over the two thousands, you know, interviewing him a few times, and we ended up becoming friends. Like he went from a source to That's a friend, awesome. and um, he's actually the one uh, who brought me into comics. Basically, uh, the story behind that is in two thousand sixteen. Uh, I, I would always find excuses to do Star Wars stories for the paper and uh, I did something for the uh, daily news website uh, for May the 4th, you know, the, the sort of fakey star Wars holiday. And I interviewed this actor by the name of Paul Blake, who was a, who played Greedo. Um, oh, awesome. And we were just joking about who shot first, essentially like, and how I was, I'm old enough. I was four years old when the movie came out. And I remember very much Han just shooting under the table, um, which I thought was great for the character even back then. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, he was joking about uh, Greedo's myopic eyes and having trouble seeing, you know, and that's why he missed and all this kind of stuff. But then he did say in the script, it says Han shoots alien. So I don't know why I couldn't get it out of my head. And I thought it would be hilarious to do the murder investigation and actually frame it oh. like this classic Japanese movie, um, Rashomon, which is uh, based on a novel. And okay. uh, Rashomon is by the director Kurosawa, who is a big influence on mm. George Lucas. Is, yeah. Uh, you know, one of the great directors of all time. And in that story, which is set in feudal Japan, there's a murder and all like four different accounts are completely different. So even the, the last one is the ghost. And so like everyone has a, has a different take on exactly what happened. So I thought it'd be funny to do a murder investigation into this. And I just couldn't get the idea out of my head. And then one day I was at a Mets game with, with Joe. Um, and I said, Hey, would you ever be open to me sending a spec script? No pressure. I just have this idea in my head. I can't get out of my head. And because I'm a journalist, like I would be very open and public about this. If it was published, I just donate the money to charity we would do an article on it or whatever. So that, you know, was very transparent. I just, yeah. I just, I was not interested in a comic book career or anything other than I thought this would be a funny story that I, that I, uh, and his idea. answer was, uh, sure, whatever. Uh, it was not, not very enthusiastic, <laughs> but, uh, I just jumped in. I'd never written a comic book script before, but I'd read so many of them. And so I, I reverse engineered what I liked, um, what worked, what, you know, pacing and format and all that kind of stuff. Um, because I covered star Wars movies. I, I, uh, uh, went to Lucasfilm, a PR person there, Lynn Hale was at the time, and asked her for help. And so she put me in touch with Pablo Hidalgo of Story Groups so I could ask continuity questions. Oh. And uh, so, yeah, so I ended up sending the um, the script in and didn't hear anything for months. So I thought, okay, well, he must really have hated it. And so then 
uh, I went to Japan. Uh, my wife is Japanese and we were going to visit our in-laws. Yeah. The plane lands on September 7th, uh, 2016. I turn my uh, phone back on and I get the email that changes my life. The subject line was something like uh, F Greedo. And F-Greedo. so I thought, wow, Joe really hated this. And so, the but the gist of it was... Um, Never mind Greedo. <laughs> Just a paraphrase. <laughs> that one's cute uh, story. Let's move on to uh, something different. <laughs> well, no, he said, never mind Greedo. Like you can actually write a comic book. And I'm kind of oh. pissed that I've known you for going on, you know, 15 years. And um, like this is one of the best first time scripts I've ever read. And so wow. from there, he championed me. Um, you know, and I I didn't think writing comic books was a serious career. Like that who it's like, you know, an astronaut or something. It's just like, I, I know they exist, but I don't, it just doesn't seem like there's a career path. It's like so, an idea uh, like an eight-year-old would want to do, but then. Yeah, it's like, I want to be a fire truck. Real to do. <laughs> yeah. Like, I want to be a tank, you know, I mean, it's like the same kind of realism. Right. But anyway, um, but uh, so, yeah, so it ended up, um, it, you know, Lucasfilm didn't want to publish it for some continuity reasons. But it got uh, me started because he basically went to Axel Alonso, who was the editor-in-chief at that time, showed him the script. Axel really liked it. And they started talking to me about doing work there. And at the same time, coincidentally, in November, uh, October or November of that year, uh, the Daily News announced that they would do buyouts uh, for people. Mm. And I was getting kind of, you know, a little... uh, journalism was getting to be a tough career. Like I was seeing, there were layoffs every year. I was seeing my mentors go. And, um, you know, there was one time where there was three days of layoffs. I was absent coincidentally the uh, for, I'd taken a personal day, the first day of layoffs. And so I come back and immediately the editor-in-chief calls me in his office and he starts talking about how horrible the situation is. And like, you know, the paper's financial and they have to let good people go. So for the 10 minutes, and then then he's talking about how the, the rest of us have to um, really pull together and, and work. And, and I realized he's not, I was like, I thought you're laying me off. And he was yeah. kind of offended. He's like, no, this is a pep talk. The layoffs are happening two doors down. And that's how <laughs> precarious it was. Uh, so yeah, so that was like oh, the no. previous year. So in October, they announced buyouts. And because I had been there 20 years, that was seven months pay. So like, if I was going to try something new, I would never get a better opportunity. That was the time to make the switch. Yeah. And I, I ended up stretching that seven months for two years. Um, I took some like side gigs and things like that. So I basically gave myself a few years to try to get a comic book career off the ground. Wow. And I'm still, still working on it. Wow. I, <laughs> um, so, But yeah, that's, that's I, sort of like, how it all started. Thank you, because like there's there's things that I've I've gleaned from, you know, um, like editorial stuff you've written, like, you know, in the, in the back of comics and uh, interviews and stuff like that. But like having it like pieced together like that is just so much um, more uh, linear. And I, I, honestly, it just it just helps. But I think the coolest thing you got to say in that little bit was me and Joe Casada were at a Mets game together. <laughs> <laughs> it's like like yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, just... a, I'm a yankees fan i'm a yankees fan but joe is the, oh. is the huge mets fan and they were his tickets so man uh, that's just yeah. like some someday i hope i get to say a cool sentence like oh yeah i was just sitting at a baseball game with you know so and so i like, mean oh, yeah man. that guy i not only owe him my comic career he has been a friend above all others that that cover you pointed to he gave us that yeah. for free to, to basically support this project i mean and and that's uh, i mean that's, that's awesome i could never yeah i could never afford uh 
you know, I mean, I've gotten some great variant covers for this series with some great artists. Uh, you know, obviously not to get more. him on has been been a huge boost for the well, book. So and like, okay, so for listeners, we've kind of just dropped into this conversation, and it's <laughs> it's great because like I've like I said, I've been I've been waiting to talk to Ethan for so long. We were originally gonna talk maybe like a year and a half two years ago uh on like that, on yeah. the thor on the thor show about a what if issue you did it's like mm. the to my knowledge ethan it's like the one bit of thor writing you've done it was like uh yes. a what if i would thor love was to raised. do more i would love to do more but uh yeah that is the one that i've the, done so far there's this up-and-coming kid called al ewing that's kind of got a <laughs> stranglehold on it now and yes uh, you know. yeah no and i i never like i'm not i'm not uh, lobbying for someone else's job i'm just saying in general <laughs> i would love to do more thor stories yeah. it doesn't have to be thor or uh you know and, and if uh, and if you're a listener out there and you haven't read ethan's uh what if it's basically what if thor was raised by the frost giants um it's it's like a bonkers like barbarian kind of like it's just a crazy fun story i i still enjoy it to this day because i like thor what if stories and that one i feel like is uh, underrated of course because i'm i'm a homer when it comes to thor stuff but i've always enjoyed that but originally we were going to get together and talk about that um but i were were at this point where you've just released uh, a few months ago a haunted girl and it's uh it's an image book right it's yes yeah it's an Im it's an image book um it's uh, through, I, I know... through a uh sorry it's through an imprint called syzygy run by chris ryle okay. who uh uh just a an awesome guy uh under image so it's, okay. it's sort of technically it's a syzygy and image book okay just to give everyone everyone their props <laughs> right right and it's um i mean at this point uh the last issue should be coming up what in this month or next month it's the, four uh, so issue the third run? issue the third issue it's four issue run the third issue just came out uh december i want to say 13th oh, okay. um the but the last issue there's a skip month because new york comic-con got in our way uh so that one is coming out i think february 21st we oh, actually okay. just sent sent the pdf to image uh so it will be but we needed that extra month um so, so yeah but it will be so, out and then the trade comes out in may awesome and it's i mean i've got my hands on a physical copy of issue one uh someday waiting for an ethan and naomi Sachs uh signature on it um okay. but i like i i just reread it this morning and i know like we could talk about star wars like you've already mentioned like you've written so much bounty hunters stuff and war of the bounty hunters was this big event that you were really integral in and uh the old man hawkeye stuff there's so many things we could talk about but like haunted girl is what's happening like right right oh and and <laughs> ethan i'm so foolish and ha hawkeye stuff like needless to say you've gotten your hands on a lot of different parts of what marvel writes now and this is like this is a an Ethan Sachs vehicle. This is you telling your story and your daughter's story because you at the end of issue one you wrote that beautiful letter to the readers. Um, and for those that maybe haven't checked out a Haunted Girl yet, I was just hoping maybe you could um, share with listeners what the book is about and maybe what your purpose in the book was. If that makes sure, sense. I mean it. Yeah, the the origins um, basically date back about four and a half years ago. Uh, my daughter, who was a high school freshman at the time, 
was uh, hospitalized for severe depression and uh, suicidality. And, you know, we as parents missed uh, all these warning signs, you have all that sort of guilt and, you know, feeling of horror that you just sort of when this all it's like your new normal um, sort of happens. And uh, I would be writing, I had started with my comic book career already, and I was actually writing scripts for uh, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge um, in the hospital cafeteria between waiting or visiting hours. And um, I, I came up with this idea that I, I wrote down on the back uh, in a, in a um, reporter's notebook. Cause I was like, I need to come up with a story that inspires my daughter to keep wanting to live and maybe other people too. And so I wrote down uh, a line and I didn't really have a story to go with it. And it was the fate of all life rests with a girl who doesn't know uh, if she wants to live. And that was sort of my, my mantra. I had worked with uh, artist Marco Lorenzana on a few things before uh, including my very first eight page Marvel story, my very first comic story. And we just really gelled. So uh, we were like, okay, let's find a creator or thing to do at some point. Um, over the course of these four and a half years, we did this uh, one shot together called Intrusion, which was a heavy metal uh, magma comics uh, sort of horror flip book. Um, but uh, this was our sort of thing that we really wanted to do. And um you know, we we were nearing a deal very close to, I think, like February 2020, and then the pandemic hit, and then that publisher, which shall not be named, uh, you know, not making anyone look bad or anything, just kind of, uh, you know, didn't didn't go through. Uh, you know, we hadn't had anything signed or anything, and then it just it was like for the last few years we came close and didn't. But one really important piece of this puzzle is that um, my daughter. Uh, over the last few years between therapy and uh, medication and like personal growth it is in a much different place. So I basically was able to approach her and, and um, ask her to join us because, you know, I kind of feel like if I was writing this purely, it would have been like that Steve Buscemi meme, like, how's it going, fellow kids, you know, because uh, it's, it's, it's the story about a teenager who's fresh out of the hospital struggling to reintegrate back in high school. Yeah. And who finds out that she's sort of at the epicenter of this supernatural apocalypse, mm -hmm. um, and the only one who can save everybody. So um, it was this whole other level of authenticity. That's all the the main characters' dialogue, the teenagers' dialogue, the therapist character and her dialogue, the hospital scenes, the therapy scenes, some of the high school stuff. Like that was all her. Um, yeah. And so we. We teamed up with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, uh, which provided a resource guide that we put in the back of every issue. And uh, I've been crisscrossing the country doing some signings and I've had people come up to me like I had a teacher come up to me in uh, Annapolis at Third Eye Comics and say that he bought a few copies for some of his students. And he knows like one who was struggling called the number hmm. on the back. And so like, wow, that that's to awesome. me more than anything else is like, that's what we were trying to do. Well, and I, I mean, not only is it is it a great resource, it's also it's 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 spooky. It's scary. It's there's there's, you know, literally there is there are hauntings in this. And there's a great um, there's a great bit of artwork towards the end where uh, where our, our main uh, our main protagonist wakes up in the middle of the night and there's this gigantic spider monster in the middle of her bedroom. And I'm like, you know what? 
if I felt like I had seen that or that was coming after me, I would have done exactly what she would have done. I would have, I would have bolted. I would have jumped out the window and gone. But I, I and so not only do you have like a, a really relatable like protagonist in it, it, Cleo, you have her father who writing the scenes for her father there's multiple different emotions we get to see out of him i assume those are emotions that you very much felt and acted upon at times going through this as a as a parent yeah no i mean so the characters are uh they're not like one-to-one uh stand-ins or anything like that but they were opportunities for us to put our put words in their mouths of, of like some of the things that you know like some of the wrong things I said that in hindsight, uh, you know, we're not, um, you know, like uh, the school refusal stuff. Well, this, this plays in um, a little bit more in like the, the second issue, but, uh, you know, a lot of it was, you know, um, hey, you got to think, you know, you got to go to school because like you got to think about college and all this kind of stuff that you think you're, you know, that's what a parent should say, but it's like kind of making the stress and all that kind of stuff worse. So there's all this stuff that like was through personal experience. And then it was all like, these are fictional characters. So they all have their own personalities and, and, you know, so it's kind of finding that balance. With, with Naomi joining you guys in the creative process, what was that like working with her on this story? Like she's, she's stepping into your world, you're stepping into her world. And like, how, Mm -hmm. how did the, this, I've never been able to ask anybody this question before. What was the creative process working with your child like? Well, so um, we started off last uh, winter break. So about a year ago, uh, you know, after we had already agreed to the, the deal and everything. Uh, and we basically spent like two weeks breaking down the story into a, a very, very detailed outline. So like every scene had the number of pages. So like that was important. And then she went back to university and uh, we communicated by Zoom and shared Google Docs and emails. And basically for the first issue, I did most of the sort of the nuts and bolts of breaking it down, like panel descriptions. And and I left her two pages for the therapy scene so that she could see how I did it. And I left like literally like Cleo blank, you know, (laughs) for, for uh, to be filled in for like the hospital scene and all that kind of stuff. So then she could see how the formatting worked and everything like that. And so she did those two pages. Then after that, for successive issues, she did more and more because then it was like, because I kind of feel like the hardest thing to translate is the structure of how it, you know, how you do art descriptions for the artist, how, you know, how you lay out a page and all this kind of stuff. So um, for that first issue, I did, I kind of did most of it aside from those two pages and the dialogue. And then she did more and more. So like by the end, I'd say she did more than 50% of, you know, the issue. And, and, and uh, now does uh, she have the, how itch the process now. worked? Probably. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, you know, this has been such a bear uh, to get to the finish line. Yeah. Because uh, the thing is like, what people may or may not know about the image model is it's, it's a great thing for creators, uh, but you have to invest your own money into, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of the, of the costs so that you can keep the rights. So like we own the, the rights. Whereas if you go yeah. to maybe some other publishers, it's more of like a 50, 50 partnership. Um, right. So, but we want it so personal. So it's like obliterated savings and all that kind of stuff to get it made. So like, 
this has been something like, you know, I've done other things over the year, but it's taken so much attention and so much time that like, I have not been able to think too much about, you know, if, and what we can do together. Um, yeah. You know, if, if we can work together and what we can do. So it's something I definitely think we will do at some point, but you know, right now I have, I have to catch up on some work for higher stuff. I, I as just, well. I, I mean, again, like before, before you guys set out to do this, I hadn't heard of, I hadn't heard of a, I mean, I've heard of spouses working together. I've heard of partners working together. I had never heard of a father and daughter working on a comic together. And, and I, again, I'm sure it's been done. I'm sure a parent has worked with a child, you know, before on stuff. I just, I don't know. I just find the idea, the, just the, the nuts and bolts of it so intriguing and cool. And I, I'm just, uh, I don't know. It's, it's a cool thing to hold in your hands and be like, Oh, this was like a father daughter yeah. project. That's just a, I mean, a it was cool def thing. Definitely special in that way. I, I, I think, you know, it was key though to get her perspective as right. the expert on what that felt like on the totally. expert of like, you know, a, a lot of the stuff. And so, you know, could I have written this without her? Not nearly the same thing at all. Like it would yeah. have been flatter, I think, you know, so yeah, uh, it was key. And then the other thing too, is I think that's what people have glommed onto, you know, we've gotten on a lot of media attention, like we've been on CBS news and like Mashable did something on us and uh, choices, which is a scholastic news health um, magazine for like, middle school and high school is doing like a big feature on her so like the reason why is i think there is something authentic about her putting her real life experience as yeah the foundation for this in a way where and that that in turn makes more people listen to the message which has been the whole goal is is like to get you know however many however many people we can destigmatize mental health for and also to like provide these resources so right um yeah i think like without her it would not have worked at all so i i i'm thank you for sharing so much about this project because i know like any of you that don't follow ethan on uh instagram and social media like go follow you'll you'll learn about where like you know i feel like it's a willie nelson song like you know where all around where he's been where he's hit the road where he's gone to do all these cool signings and stuff i feel like you're you're on the move so much these days um you know going and making these things happen but be sure to follow ethan on on social media is there anything about this project um because i know i invited you here to talk about another mm -hmm. comic that is significant to you um that you didn't uh, co-write with your daughter um but is there anything <laughs> else about a haunted girl that maybe listeners who haven't checked it out yet or um you know haven't uh, heard about it yet you know that you just want them to know before they before they jump into it uh, well, I just uh, I, I do want to also give a shout out because one of the reasons uh, it, it looks so good is is uh, you know obviously Marco Lorenzana. Uh, this imagery is very influenced by Japanese horror movies, yeah. and um, you know in part because of my daughter's uh, you know affinity for that side of her of her you know family history, and then also Marco is just a a big horror fiend. Uh, but, but also the other reason it looks so good is, uh, we just have a, a great sort of, I like to think of us as a band and like the rhythm section of colorist yes. Andromosa and letterer Jaime, uh, he goes by Jaime. And so, um, 
they've done a great job. And so like the bottom line is I think and hope it's an entertaining sort of PG 13 level horror story for most people. And then if you, if that resonates with you, if you see yourself in Cleo's struggles, then that's like a whole other level. Um, And, you know, we want you to feel seen and we, you know, and and if you need it um, provide some resources uh, because like, you know, there's many, many people out there. There are many, many people out there who've gone through this. And, um, you know, we just, we want you to know you're not alone. That's, I mean, be- beautifully put. I don't think I could, uh, I could have said it better if I tried uh, to, to write my own spec script of how to explain a haunted girl. So, uh, Ethan, this series of interviews that i'm doing lately uh, um last time on a, a show we're calling what's your issue we had uh philip kennedy johnson stop by mm-hmm. and he and i talked about uh superman 400 and what that story means to him i asked you i posed the same question to you and you gave a few options and mm-hmm. of those options i was like okay there's one story in here that I, I I hear a lot about. I've never read it, and I feel like I need to read it. And so, um, can you just share with people what what your issue is, what issue you chose to read with us on the show? Yes. So um, my issue, and again, this is it's it's always very hard to pick. And I, I think I gave right, right. two answers, and I could have given like ten. I asked you um, the impossible. I, I, yeah. <laughs> yes, but we're we're going to narrow it down to one for the purpose of this conversation, and that is the 1982 graphic novel, uh, X Men: God Loves, Man Kills. And um, if you've never read it, you probably know the sort of the outline of the story because it was the influence for the movie X Two. Yes. Um, you know, basically this evangelical, uh, anti mutant uh, preacher sort of leading, uh, this sort of diabolical purge of mutants and um what i love about this story first of all there this came from an era and and, you know rightfully so in the in the 80s in the early and mid 80s it was just such a creative boom for comics where it kind of just went to this very mature um you know and and people think of Watchmen and they think of you know uh even with the x-men they think of the dark uh phoenix saga or they think of you know um either dark night uh dark night rises and so uh but i think one thing that's been lost is marvel did this line of graphic novels um including like the death of captain marvel and new mutants which was the first appearance of new mutants and just uh but this is my favorite uh it was just if you want to ask me like what the perfect x-men story is to show somebody who has never read x-men of why they matter of of the you know, this is that story that distills it perfectly. Yeah. I, so I'm glad, I'm glad this is one of the, your options uh, because I have told friends of mine this, um, you know, where they've asked like, you know, Oh, I, I noticed like you kind of don't read a lot of X-Men and yeah. Cause the X-Men continuity intimidates me because there's so much of it. I mean, especially nowadays, like there's a, you could probably take the X-Men line out of Marvel, make it its own line. And it would probably do, it would probably do just fine. Uh, Cause X books are just, they're so prevalent and there's so many spinoffs and so many different teams. Uh, but this book, when you were like, I want to, you know, God loves, God loves man kills. I'm like, I've never read it before. And part of it is like my own personal relationship to religion and more of the evangelical world. Like, you know, 
listeners to my shows kind of know a little bit about that story, but I kind of shied away from this story because I knew what it was about, kind of like what you said from X2, but I'm glad that you chose it because I finally feel like I got to read it at a time where I was healthy enough to receive kind of the the deeper philosophical meaning of it. And uh, I'm sure you can take so many things out of this, but I read it right before our conversation because I wanted it to be very, very fresh. And I told you yeah, in the last email we exchanged before, I was like, this story rocked me. So, I mean, and, and I'll share a little bit about that, but mostly I just want to know what does this story mean to you? Why is it significant to you um, in your own personal uh, life? So, uh, well, first of all, keep in mind that I first read this when I was nine years old, when it came out, I was, you know, a big comic book fan. I love the X-Men. Um, and this was so much darker and, you know, <laughs> Just a adults, little. <laughs> I mean, there's no, there's no real, like, like super powered super villain that they're, fa- they're not facing like onslaught or, or anything. And in fact, Magneto nope. is, is an ally in this. Um, <laughs> yep. it's, it's really, uh, but what I gravitated towards is it really, it really brought home. And I think like anyone who grows up, you know, like I'm, um, I was Jewish in a non-Jewish neighborhood. And I, occasionally that, you know, I would feel that was <laughs> made known to me, let's just say. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like, I just felt that resonance of what it was like to be a mutant. And I think, you know, I've talked to friends of mine who are gay or, um, you know, people of color and everyone finds that in the X-Men where yeah. that feeling of being other, of feeling ostracized of, um, so it's like this perfect combination of that wish fulfillment when you're a kid of having these powers, but also feeling that loneliness and that, that kind of thing. And so, um, this, this was just so, um, you know, Chris Claremont uh, was obviously the the writer of the X Men, but this was something he could never do at that time no. in the in the regular X Men book. No, um, no, so it's just it's just uh, just uh, amazing um, for I, those so reasons. The you you touched on this a little bit, um, you, your own Jewish heritage, and there's a point in this story um, where Kitty is specifically targeted because of that did you you i've i've known a few um a few other friends who have jewish heritage that really like they gravitate to characters like kitty because she's so raw and she's so transparent about things wow i can't believe i said kitty pride is transparent about things (laughs) um (laughs) oops uh but that was pretty good uh but did you find her (laughs) did you find that her story in here because we we start off like with her being the target of discrimination did did you find her story to be specifically like endearing at this time or maybe comforting? yeah i mean i think i think i had a crush on kitty pride at that age who um, didn't you know when i was <laughs> like, that age uh because i also think besides uh her background she was sort of a point of view character for like if you're a younger reader yeah. you know um you know, she was closer to your mentality than maybe some of the older X-Men were, you know, like I I love Wolverine as much as the next person, but I didn't really feel a personal relatability. (laughs) Yes. I, I, you know, I, I was not the best, (laughs) the best at what I did, you know? So, um, uh, yeah. So I, I always kind of felt like, 
she was close in the same way probably if you grew up reading batman in like the you know in the 40s you related to robin more robin, than you related yeah. to to uh to batman even yeah. though batman was so cool so it's kind of, right. for me it was kind of similar um you know i really always liked cyclops but i feel like i related more to kitty pride yeah i so speaking of cyclops i um Again, my, my X-Men knowledge is kind of pared down to knowing major themes about them, mm-hmm. but um, digging into very few, you know, minutiae parts of them. I, I did love in this Cyclops' monologue at the end when he gets yeah. to confront uh, William Stryker's ideologies and he says, well, okay, you've, you've had your time to talk. Now we're going to get our chance to kind of interrogate the ideology that you're throwing at us i love i love that cyclops is the one who kind of is the mm. um and not so much in a boy scout way but he's the moral compass of the x-men and towards the end of this story uh because even when professor xavier says ah, maybe we should just throw in with magneto maybe that would be the best way to to get this thing accomplished <laughs> cyclops is like heck no i'm not giving up and it's because of what you taught us that i'm not giving up and that was one of my favorite moments do you have like moments from this graphic novel that really stand out that make a, a very clear impression on you yeah i mean um i don't know how much i want to say about one thing because it's kind of a spoiler if you haven't read it uh, okay okay but uh you know i i loved um, I loved that Kitty sort of, instead of one of the, to, to sort of do this without spoilers, I love how it's resolved where they don't really use their powers and it isn't just about them. They need right. other people to step up. And I really like that. There was something empowering about it, about them sort of changing minds. Um, and that sort of that, that hate turning off sort of these regular people and the their their the way it was resolved again i'm, t- I'm trying to do this without no no no, no. It's, very it's, specific. I, but i yeah. liked i liked that i felt that that was very much in this theme um you know the great thing about this book is you have your action scenes but it really is a philosophical uh, um first and foremost sort of story and right i, I liked how it how the 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 sort of the resolution doesn't directly come from you know them punching stabbing harder. someone with claws yeah. or right or shooting them with eye beams or lightning or anything like that it it was resolved differently that you know right and um that was very moving to me even back then even as a nine-year-old because uh, even earlier on in the story one of the x-men says like how much i think it's peter that says this like how much better are we if if we just use their tactic mm. tactics against them yeah and yeah. you know oh wolverine has like a little quip there and they're like yeah but like we really got to think about this and you're right at the end like the resolution of the story doesn't come because wolverine stabbed the right guy or you yeah. know storm storm you know lit the whole place up with lightning um there's one and i would love like your feedback on this because the scene that in the, the 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 story that hit me the most was when striker our antagonist the the uh <laughs> 
preacher doesn't even feel like a right word uh but he's he's up in the, he's up in the pulpit at Madison Square Garden as you know preachers are are one to do every once in a while and he's he's you know he's just hitting home you know this message of anti-mutant sentiment and um the the MacGuffin that they've constructed is inflicting pain on the mutants in the surrounding area and a strikers like lead lieutenant is crawling her way up to the pulpit and she finds that you know she's bleeding from the ear she's bleeding from the nose and that is an indicator that she is she has latent mutant abilities or somehow has an x gene about her and she cries out like what's happening to me that this mm. oh wait this must mean that i'm a and striker turns on his most devoted disciple turns on her at the blink of a blink of an eye and she says what there's i i've got to bring i've got to bring it up because the line absolutely destroyed me um the line is she says you uh you don't dare do the lives of the faithful mean nothing to you and Stryker says, I am set upon a righteous course, Anne, and nothing and no one will deter me from it. A true daughter of heaven would have accepted her fate. And he pushes her off this high towering pulpit and she dies. And that is all like in the context of one page. Yeah. And I know like Cl Claremont often gets the, yeah, yep. Ethan's holding it up right right now. I <laughs> it's it was a gut-wrenching page because you know I've been, you know, not to not to compare my struggle with anybody else, it's just a personal experience. Um, I have been on the receiving end of you know a, a spiritual or religious trauma. I have been in those situations where you're often easily discarded by people in power because you were no longer on board or you no longer you 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 no longer fit the mission that we were going for and when Anne gets literally pushed off and pushed away he striker says i cast you into the abyss and she dies i was like whew i don't know if i can finish this book before we've got to talk because that <laughs> that page absolutely destroyed me right mm. so so as you as you've grown up with this story i'm reading it as an adult looking back yeah. and implying my experience onto it as an adult now, looking back on it, does it hit differently to you? Has there been times where you've returned to this story and it's taken on a new meaning to you? I mean, I don't, I don't know that it so much hits differently. I think actually for me, it's been consistently um, as powerful as it was when I first read it. And I think like, you know, our society has changed a lot over time, but um, you know, and I'm saying this to be in full transparency, like I'm, you know, agnostic personally, and I'm, you know, I consider myself liberal or progressive. So like a lot of my values don't necessarily line up or, or whatever, you know, it's ever, everyone has their own. Totally. Um, uh, but so I, you know, that just makes me sort of, um, you know, feel a, a kindred with, with the X-Men, um, right you know, and I think like the, the political, sociological, everything that all that background is changed to some extent, but a lot of it is universal. You know, yeah. I don't, I don't, um, you know, keep in mind when this was written, it was sort of like TV televangelists were just like this incredibly 
big phenomenon at the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that's probably bled into this a little bit. Um, but it was also like in 1982, and I don't know how much of this went through Chris Claremont's mind or, uh, you know, or or uh, Brent Eric Anderson, who was the artist. Like, I, I don't know how much of this, but it was also like at the beginning of the of the sort of the, uh, the AIDS crisis. And there was a lot of um, homophobia at yeah. the time. Uh, I mean, obviously, it predates that and postdates that, but like it right, was right. very much in the zeitgeist. So I don't know. I don't know if that if there's a lot more sort of current events, 1982 current events that went in, or it was just this sort of timeless parable, because at the end of the day, it's yeah. about, um, you know, bigotry and it's about love conquering hate. And it that could be, that could be a generic thing, or it could be that, you know, Chris Claremont was processing stuff. So yeah. who knows, you know, that'd be a question for him. But what I love about it is it is this um, thing that has stood the test of time. You know, I, I think the only thing yeah. is like, obviously, if they had cell phones, they'd be able to, <laughs> uh, you know, deal with it a little bit better. But that's like the only thing that doesn't hold necessarily. That's the only thing that feels dated. Um, otherwise, this this could be set in 2024 and it would, it you would could, work just as well. This comic could, yeah, it, like Ethan said, like if you adjust a few different things, this comic could come out tomorrow and it would still be as applicable there would still be modern comparisons, you know, that you would make. Um, I, I, and I agree with you. It's it's timeless. And one thing I love about this, listeners, this this book came out over 40 years ago. And Ethan still felt like he had to uh, it, it, it keep the integrity of the spoiler. <laughs> with So, like, yeah, now I feel like you have to go read it because we're not going to spoil every single thing. Yeah. I do think the ending hits harder if you if you don't know in advance if you right. haven't read it so right so that's why i was trying to i, I kind of feel like i was fumbling a little <laughs> you, bit i was trying very hard not to be specific <laughs> that was great uh, i i, I, I do a, love how it resolves there's I a great epilogue to where there's a conversation back at the x mansion where they all uh, sometimes in comic book stories we we just we get to see the like the big fight we get to see like the immediate re revolution resolution of like oh the villain went away or the heroes are off onto their next adventure we actually get to have like a a, a debrief of what just happened with the x-men and it's um it's a great it's a great like epilogue to end the story on but um ethan just one more question about uh god yeah. loves man kills and then um we do we like to end our conversations with five get to know you questions um yeah. that are just like ethan sack specific and uh and those are a lot of fun how has how is this issue or this story um, in some small way or maybe a big way influenced your own storytelling? Uh, you know, I think, um, I think one of the things that has really, and I don't know that I would have connected those dots uh, back then, but I think so much of this, because they're not fighting, you know, um, the juggernaut or, you know, any, any one, any number of these sort of superpowered villains, it really, you get a deep dive into some of their characters. Um, and, and, um, you know, like Kitty Pride specifically, or Magneto, um, as another one, you know, his, uh, sort of the human element of his, um, uh, reasons for doing what he does. 
And um, I think what it proves, and as I become an older storyteller and become doing this and doing this more professionally, I think that uh, starting with the character and their motivations and like why they're interesting, that's more important than plot, you know? Um, and I think when you're younger or when I you know, first get started, you get so preoccupied with the plot, like does this all connect and like what would be cool to happen here? And like the basic, what I love about this is this is why the X-Men are cool and the in individually those six that they profile and Magneto, like, um, you know, this is why they're, they are stand, they, these characters can stand on their own. And I think that is something I've learned over time, how it, it's, you start with the characters and then the plot is in service to the characters, not the other way around. I, yeah, I think beautifully put. Um, and, and, oh, and the second thing, yeah, the second yeah. thing too is um, there are some universal themes. Like this, is like the reason this stands, uh, this, is as important today as it was in 1982 is because uh, there are these universal themes that resonate with people and you, you know, yeah. you obviously don't have to be a mutant to, to feel for them. So no. uh, I do think um, the best stories have those. I, yeah, that's beautifully put. And I think, you know, yeah, being someone that hadn't read this story beforehand, and I know there's probably a few people listening right now. I can, I can, I can think of some of your names right now that are listening. They're like, how had you not read this yet? I was like, Hey, it, it took Ethan Sachs coming into my life to get me to read uh, God Love Man, God Loves Man Kills. And now I feel like it's a story that I'm going to return to uh, maybe sporadically to gl uh, glean those themes over and over again. But Ethan, so thank you for, for bringing us that issue. Thank you for the discussion around it. Thank you for telling us about a haunted girl and that story and that people can go still pick up issues. They can still pick up, you know, issues one, two, and three and issue four is going to come out in February. Uh, I do want to end our conversation with five get to know you questions. Uh, if you are game to play our game. Let's do okay. it. Here we go. If you could have one superpower, what would you choose and why? Um. Okay. This is good. this is gonna sound a little lame, but it, I I've thought about this before. <laughs> yeah, I uh, have no it, doubt. <laughs> it would be empathy projection. Like it would be, and um, I just think you know, uh, everything that we're experiencing in this world, in the Middle East, closer to home, uh, if people could share, uh you know, the empathy of, of feeling what the, uh, the quote unquote other feels. Yeah. Um, we would not be so close to the brink on, on so many fronts. And so sure. It'd be great to fly. That would be awesome. Um, but I think, um, I, I think empathy projection is my answer. How, how many problems can you solve by flying a few, maybe how many problems <laughs> you can, can escape you solve with... problems, you yes. get away from the problems, uh, which is empathy also, hey, I understand that impulse. Man, that is a that is a good one. Uh, number two, what is your number one pet peeve? Um, number one pet peeve uh, is willful ignorance. Um, just you know, ignorance. a lot of time, willful ignorance. So, like, um, you know, if you, not everyone is an expert on everything, you know, obviously, but I think the inability to listen. Yeah. to other people who have the experience. So like as an example, and again, I'm outing my political beliefs here. Yeah. Yeah. Take, take something like climate change, which is a, sure. you know, I've, I've written a, 
a nonfiction comic on it. It's something I've I've done a lot of reporting on it. Um, I'm not an expert in climate change, despite all this reporting I've done, but I know experts who are scientists and you'll have people saying like, it's a hoax and I could do your research or something. And then they'll like find a meme or they'll find something that is just not particularly sourced. And I kind of feel like we've lost, um, you know, this, and a lot of it is partisan, mm-hmm. um, this ability to listen to people who've earned that knowledge, yeah. you know, whether it's doctors or scientists or, you know, teachers or, 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 uh, you know, people who are, um, and I'm not saying you should take everything that someone tells you as, as gospel, but at the same yeah. time, like, I feel like trust the experts trust. And, and so or just, or just know what you don't know, you know what I mean? And then, <laughs> yes. and, uh, because like you are an expert in something, everyone is like, has put in the time for, for something, you know, whether it's comic book knowledge, uh, whether it's, you know, movie knowledge or whatever it is. Um, so trust, you know, like, like take Aaron Rodgers on the whole subject of vaccines. Like I, I have had Aaron Rodgers on my fantasy team. I think he's a great quarterback. I would trust him to know football strategy football. And, and like mechanics. <laughs> I don't know that he'd be the first person I go to for virology. You know what I mean? And like, yeah, um, you know, and probably maybe ultimately <laughs> he turns out to be right, but it's just not where I'm going for, for that expertise. Right. right. I, yeah. And there's so many, I can honestly, as you were saying that there were so many different examples that I couldn't help like keep from keeping coming to the front of my mind in my own personal life. So I feel like that's one people are going to listen to be like, Oh, well, I have so many examples of that, that I could, you know, it, it can relate with. Um, set so number three, what is your go-to snack or drink? Like long day of writing and you know, you've got this to look forward to. I mean, uh, fortunately unfortunately i would say drinks uh either a cold ipa um or a uh uh old-fashioned is my go-to cocktail so just i just like uh i don't do that every day but uh occasionally i just need it to sort of decompress uh i eat too much pizza also (laughs) (laughs) so you you're you're a new york guy is there a is there a new york based ipa that you would recommend yeah, I mean, we have a lot of like craft beers are a big thing now here, yeah. uh, like they are just about everywhere. But uh, there's a local brewery called Finback. Uh, okay, they have a rolling rolling in the clouds IPA. I just particularly like that one, I guess. Um, we we have full transparency, Ethan. We have another show on our on our podcast feed called Superpower Happy Hour, where mm-hmm. we do we will read a comic and we'll, we'll drink a beer. And uh, I just like hearing what other people when they bring up that. I love hearing what you guys enjoy locally because a lot of us on that show will do local stuff. Um, so it's just kind of cool that every place has a scene when it comes to craft yeah. beer and all that kind of stuff. Um, Number four, when you are not writing comics, what are you doing? Um, that <laughs> I wish I had like a great uh, story. Like I do a <laughs> lot of, um, I do a lot of walking, like about five miles a day. Uh, oh wow! That, okay, but that's in part for health because uh, I had back surgery in 2016, so I can't really. I'm not really supposed to jog. I was in a, mm. a beer league playing this game called Broomball, which is like hockey on on foam shoes basically it sounds amazing it is amazing it's a lot of fun but after i had the back surgery i wasn't supposed to do that anymore so walking is an exercise i can do that's like low impact 
And also it helps me when I have like writer's block to sort of work mm. out problems. So I do that a lot. You know, I, I read, I watch TV. I'd like to have better hobbies than that, um, so, to tell you, but uh, what's a, what's a TV show or movie that you've enjoyed lately? Um, well, I just, I just saw the Aquaman sequel, which I, I did a prequel story. I, ha- uh, as my I first haven't seen DC. it. I haven't seen it yet. I'm, yeah, I'm actually, you know, that and the Marvels have gotten a lot of, of bad press, and I actually enjoyed both of them. I wouldn't say that okay. either was life cha- life-changing, but uh, in terms of series, um, God, like, you know, I, I to be honest, I, <laughs> I've seen a lot of stuff that I haven't loved, uh, and I don't want to be that guy. Uh, no, so, no, 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 I, I get it. Yeah. Uh, No, I, I, on the subject, I I enjoyed the Marvels thoroughly. I loved going with my daughter and my wife and they were, you know, they had so much fun with it and it was cool to see, you know, all all those women on the screen at one point and to look over and see my daughter enjoying just, she's seven. She, her just having like the time of her life. It was, it was incredible. And I'm a big Aquaman guy. I mean, it's the only superhero I have tattooed on my skin. So um, there you go. I'm nice. going to enjoy it. I'm going to enjoy it no matter what. Yeah, um, and it, it was it was fun. I will say also, just thinking about it, the movie I saw two movies before that was Godzilla minus one. And uh, I, I grew up a big Godzilla fan. It is the best Godzilla movie I've ever seen. Um, and none of the theaters here is, in Nebraska have had it yet. Oh, really? I'm OK, it's coming. Yeah, I, I, yeah, it's it's good. It's surprisingly good because unfortunately, and I, I hate to say this about uh some of the recent Godzilla movies on both sides of the Pacific yeah uh, you know a lot of times they spend too much time on the humans because you can't just have giant monsters fighting each other but unless that's compelling you know yeah. your mind is wandering right and they yeah. made this one compelling so that that's the I, secret to the success I've heard nothing but great things about that yeah. and I'm I'm so stoked to see that because it like the trailers alone just look incredible and i don't know i just yeah i'm i agree with you i'm i'm ready to see it i hope it i hope it over delivers you know because i've got got crazy expectations for that it's gonna be great um the last question we like to ask is um kind of a a a a pay it forward kind of question um who is one person that you would love to see as a guest on what's your issue now before ethan answers that i just want to say you were kind of an answer to this question because Alyssa Wong kept telling me to talk to you. So you've been paid forward. So I was, I was wondering <laughs> who would you recommend to. Oh my God. Like the single Netflix. issues, like the single issues. Uh, it's so hard to just pick one uh, person. Right. I, I will say this, like one of the great things about working in comics is there's so many creators who are generous with their knowledge and expertise when you're the I agree. sort of newer person in. And so like at different times, I could say, um, you know, like Matt Rosenberg, all the Star Wars writer, like Char- Ch- writers, Charles and everyone, I will, I will just to narrow it down to one for no other reason than I have to uh, actually, I was going to say um, it's really hard. But I will I will narrow it down to one. I'll say Mark Guggenheim. Okay. Uh, Mark if, Guggenheim. Yes. Uh, Mark Guggenheim is, for many people who are not comic book fans, they'll know him best as like the showrunner for the TV series Arrow, among many other uh, notable TV works he's done. He's written screenplays. 
Um, he's also just a comic book veteran, uh, just somebody very generous with their time and knowledge and just an wow. all around great person. Another Star Wars writer. So, uh, and again, <laughs> I I could have said DJ Older. I could have said my friend Rich Duick, uh, who's a great comic book horror. I could have gone very many different oh. directions. Yeah. I'm just picking one because yeah, I'm yeah, on the yeah. spot and I have to. So there's well, no disrespect to anyone else. I love that. Um, I love like uh, when we talked to Philip Kennedy Johnson, he said the same thing. He's like, well, who don't I say pretty much? Yeah. And, and I was like, I, I love that. I love that answer so much. And uh, I also love that all the Star Wars people kind of stick together. That's uh, it, it just seems well, kind of well, cool. What people should know is that we had... So Mark, Alyssa, Greg, Charles, and I, and like the Star Wars editors, we would have Zooms um, weekly, Wednesdays. And that's why those crossovers were so tight. Yeah. We would, and it was just like, we came in as peers and we left as friends, you know, um, mm. just just a great bunch of people. Um, so and I cool. think that chemistry, that chemistry is why that line, you know, for four years uh, has been so consistent. Um, you know, obviously I'm biased because I'm in it, but, uh, you know, there, there's just this feeling of connection that is hard to do in this business because you're, you're working from totally. home by yourself. And, I, yeah. Yeah. It, to have, I can imagine to have any of that sense of team, teamwork camaraderie would be incredibly refreshing, uh, you know, to, to get into those stories together. Um, but I, Honestly, man, thank you for the chat. And if people want to hang, hang out with you, if people want to uh, check out your stuff online and, uh, um, and just, you know, maybe tell you how much they appreciated a haunted girl or star Wars or any other things, how can people reach out to you? Uh, well, so I'm on uh, most of the major social media, you know, like I'm on Twitter X, whatever it is this week. I'm on Blue <laughs> whatever Sky. It is this week. Uh, I'm on blue sky. I'm on Instagram. I'm on, I'm just recently on threads. Uh, okay. Facebook is sort of a private, uh, page for me because I, I use that. Uh, I'm yeah. Gen X. So I use that for like uh, family <laughs> stuff. Um, but the rest of it, like I would say, you know, I'm trying to do more on Instagram. Uh, I'm most active on Twitter. I like blue sky, but it doesn't seem like there are a lot of people there yet. So, yeah. Um, yeah, those are sort of my main ones. And it's just, it's either Ethan Sachs or Ethan J Sachs. Yeah. Uh, for, for each of them. So it's, I'm easy enough to find. And, and of course we told people they can check out, uh, issues of a haunted girl right now. Uh, it's just one through three are out. Uh, issue four is coming out in February. What are some other Ethan Sachs vehicles that people can be checking out? Well, Bounty Hunters ends next month uh, with issue 42. And then a I travesty start a, that that has come yeah, to an I, end. <laughs> I start a four issue, uh, really awesome Django Fett story. It's been a lot of fun to do. Is that the Just Revelations always, one? It's the um, one that's hinted at in Revelations. Okay. Okay. Um, and then the, uh, the last, uh, well, actually, I have some other stuff. There's a graphic novel I did with uh, Fico Asio uh, uh, called Blood Rage, which is coming out sometime in 2024. Okay. And then there's a bunch of stuff I'm working on that I can't say, including something all- really, really cool that I'm very excited about. It's uh, um, it's another sort of licensed property. Oh, okay. Uh, some, something. I wish I could talk about it. Uh, no, no, no. I, no seriously, I love that. I love that answer so much because when i'm fortunate enough to get to talk to some of my favorite creators i love the answer of like oh there's so much stuff that i can't tell you about i'm like good that means that there's so much more 
so many more stories I get to enjoy later on. So I, yeah. So I can't believe bounty hunters is coming to an end. That's, that's nuts. How many, how many issues just overall of, of bounty hunters have you done? 42, all 42. Uh, you did all and, 42. Okay. Yeah. And actually it had the same artist for the vast majority of them. I think um, when all said and done, it's like 31 of the 42 was uh, Paolo Villanelli. And then we've had a, a murderer's row of great artists filling in. So yeah, that's, uh, and, and in today's comics, it's so rare to have that. It's um, some someday the the Ethan Sachs the Bounty Hunters Omnibus will come out. And I would it'll like be, that. <laughs> that'd be incredible. I would like that. But uh, Ethan, thank you so much for your time today, man. Um, if yeah, if, thanks for if, having me. If anybody wants to check out um, our stuff on socials, we're at Many Paths. You can check out all of our other shows, Superpower Happy Hour, Across the Bifrost, um, on our main feed. We're throwing all the shows there on the main feed now um, because of Trip's advice to us. That is what we're going to do, and we're going to see if that um, if that gains some traction there. But you'll be able to find our other What's Your Issue conversations. I believe our next conversation is going to be with one of the VC gang. We're going to be talking to Clayton Owls next so be sure to check that out and we'll see if we can get some of ethan's suggestions on the show for for later on um but everybody thank you for checking out what's your issue i hope you have a great rest of your day Hi, this is Ethan Sachs, and you're listening to what? Uh, sorry, what's this issue, right? Let me try to. Yes, I get a blooper. Uh